You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy so people with limited mobility hand issues and disabilities can celebrate palm sunday just like everyone else if you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need give the gift of the big o at getbumpin.com that's g-e-t-b-u-m-p-n.com Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectably disabled... <coughs> Whoa, I had a frog in my throat there. Let's try again. I'm, of course, your delectably disabled daddy host... Andrew Gerza, get comfy, cozy, and crippled. And let's get this show started, shall we? 
First things first, I want to say thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. It means a lot. If you want to, con- to continue to support Disability After Dark, thank you for being here. If you want to do that, you can pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more if that works for your budget or a yearly amount too if you wanted to do that by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark and I would love your pledge and for your pledge you get the show one day early and completely ad free you know you hear the ads at the beginning of the show well you'll get them you'll get the show completely ad free and you'll get a shout out on the air for me which is more sexy sorry more awkward than it is sexy used to be a sexy awkward shout out but now it's just awkward and I usually rhyme your name with something weird but uh, if you want to hear me give you a shout out on the air for your pledge, consider pledging. By pledging, you allow me to keep the show up and running, and you allow me to, um, you know, buy groceries and a coffee sometimes. So I would appreciate your support. On the show today, I'm so excited to finally release this. I recorded this back on September 16th, 2021, so just about a year and a half ago now which tells you how long the backlog is of episodes I have to release. But I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. I sit down with my friend, actor, producer, writer, and all-around amazing disabled person, amazingly cool disabled person and friend of mine, Teal Shearer, and we talk about her experience being an actor. In 2011, she starred and produced in a little web series about being disabled, called My Gimpy Life, and I fell in love with it way before I started activism. And so we talk about that. We talk about her experience of motherhood. She tells us more about her injury. We talk about so many different things here. And I just loved having a chat with her. She was really cool and down-to-earth and funny and honest about her experiences. And I just really enjoyed sitting down with her and doing this. So I'm so excited to finally release it and finally put it out there in the world and talk with her, and thank you so much, Teal, for your patience as I finally released this episode, but I can't wait for the world to hear it. Thank you for being the cool, awesome guest that you were, are, and I would love to um, promote the fuck out of your stuff, because you're awesome. So, everyone should follow Teal. This is a great episode, and I can't wait to bring it to you. So, without further ado, enough of my rambling. Let's get to the interview with my friend, Teal Shearer, right now on Disability After Dark. Teal Shearer, hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you on Disability After Dark because I'm a little bit starstruck because, and this is a question that I had for later, but I'll put it out now. I remember watching your show on YouTube, like, before I started doing any of my activism work and being like, this is really cool. What is this? How did, like, somebody made this. <laughs> this is really awesome. So we'll get into that in a minute. But I feel kind of like, oh, I watched, like, you know, we've heard about special and we've, we talked about that a little bit off the air a second ago. We've heard about, like, all these shows coming up. But I feel like, for me anyway, your show was, like, the first scripted, like, real live disabled person doing a thing that I like before I started doing any of the work that I do before the show became a thing before I was like an activist I remember watching my gimpy life and being like that's cool 
how did this happen? I want to do that. So I feel a little bit starstruck. Aw, that, that means so much. Um, I, so I'm really excited to have you here. And so when, when you, because you wrote an article about an interview that I did with, with Ryan O'Connell, and when I saw that you had written it, I was like, oh, I have to have you on the show. I have to find a way. How do I do this? So I'm excited. I, I was so glad that you asked me to, because I've wanted to be a guest, so. Oh, and so, well, then here, then it worked great. out. It's fantastic. So for those, of, for those people who don't know who you are, Teal, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit who, about who you are and what you do. Yes. Um, as you just said, my name is Teal. I was, uh, I became disabled when I was 14 years old. I was in a car accident. I, in college, started taking um, acting classes in college as part of my communications major. And I started dancing with a physically integrated dance company called Full Radius Dance. And once I started doing those things, I discovered my love and passion for performance. And as well as, um, and particularly through dancing with Full Radius Dance and other dancers with disabilities kind of started getting more ingrained in the disability community. And basically since then have been acting, producing, advocating for the inclusion of performers with disabilities. I live in Seattle right now. I have a six-year-old son, a German shepherd. Ooh, German shepherd. Cool. Yeah. And I, I write for New Mobility Magazine. I'm their media columnist and host an a, a online interview series called New Mobility Live that's once a month. Nice. Do you need a guest? I'll guest for you. Let yes, me know. For sure. I would love to. I would love it's to. It's happening. That. That's awesome. Great. Um, wow. There's so many things going on there. There's like motherhood there. There's like dance. I didn't know about the dance stuff. So I'm yeah. curious, like, what is it like to be, cause I, and I have friends who do wheelchair dance. What is that? What was that? All, what was that like? It was great because before my injury, I, I loved to dance. I was a cheerleader. Um, you know, very active, whatnot. And then, of course, my disability happened, and I'm figuring out my body and all that that stuff that goes along with that. And so the dance was great because it was like a like, wow, I can still do this. I can still, you know, figure out how to how to move and create art. And I'm dancing with other uh, performers with disabilities, and I'm watching what they're doing. And it was very empowering. And also just to get up on a stage with people and be like, look. This is, this is what's happening. Like I, this is how I'm moving and this is, and also I I like the physical integration because we have the able-bodied dancers too, and we're collaborating and doing stuff together. So to seeing that all kind of mesh together. Yeah. And then I, I think the enmeshing of disabled and non-disabled bodies in art is really cool because I think when you have just one or the other, it's kind of boring, but together it's like a whole different thing. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I am not a dancer. I wish that I could be one, but like, I just get, I have no coordination whatsoever. So I, I envy anyone who can both wheel a chair and do that. Cause I can't, I, it's not my thing, but uh, I mean, I love that people do that. Um, so you mentioned you had an injury and I'd love to ask for you, what are your disabilities and how do they impact your day-to-day life? Yeah. So As I said, I I was in a car accident when I was 14. I broke my back uh, L2 level. So I'm basically paralyzed from the uh, hips down, no feeling or movement. 
because of my disability, I have osteoporosis. Uh, and let's see, how does it affect my daily life? Um, I think I have to pay close attention to my health. I, you know, I, I, like this Friday, I'm going to get a bone density scan and see my osteoporosis doctor and figure out if I'm on the right medication or maybe we should, should switch it. I, I, you know, I sit so much, so I try to get out of my wheelchair and stretch. I have and a standing. pressure sores. Yes, pressure sores, yeah. standing frame. It's just, I don't want to say, it's just like a big, it's a part of my life. And I, and I think I had, ha, I've had to, you know, realize that like, it's, I don't want to call it a job, but it is, there's a job, there's a job aspect to it of yeah. like being on top of it and maintaining it and, you know, realizing that, you know, I can't overdo certain things and and whatnot and so the date like so so the day-to-day stuff like I remember when we first scheduled this you're like oh I can't I gotta run and grab my kid like does it affect like does it affect you just doing day-to-day mom stuff or is no um you know obviously it depends on what it is like I'm not gonna like if you know my friend's kid you know friend wants them to meet down at the lake so they can go swimming and do all this stuff like that may not be accessible for me so I may yeah. have to bow out and be like okay can you take him or maybe my husband will take him but I think there are day-to-day routine as far as I take him drop him off at school I pick him up yesterday I took him to the library after school and and like my husband was out of town for a week last week and so I was like you know manning yeah. the thing like I was doing the thing and so our yeah our routine I, I've got a hold on that I was gonna ask this question at the end but I was kind of curious now because we kind of went there so like what is it like being a because we don't hear about a lot of we don't hear a lot about disabled parenting in the media or like at all really and I'm always curious what is it like to be a disabled mom and how does it affect your relationship with your with your child So it was so cool, like seeing my son interact with my wheelchair and my disability, because as a baby and as a kid, like that was his norm. Like he learned to pull up on my wheels to get closer to me. He learned to walk. Oh, so cute though. Yeah. It's like, they know, like that's the norm. Like, oh, she's in the truck. I got to pull up, got to get to her. Let me push her. She has a bar on her wheelchair. Let me push that around the house. And that's how he learned to walk. He loved his favorite place still, even now when he's six is my lap. Like he is obsessed with being in my lap. Yeah, because he knows that's where mom is. That's how yeah. I do, that's how I'm gonna get to mom. Totally. And being on a lower level with kids, like being eye level with them is really special. Um, it's like a different experience. And kids are drawn to that. They're like, oh, they're on my level. They're not like I have to look up and they're like this domineering parent. Like I'm yeah. I'm, I'm down with them. And so there's I mean so many so many wonderful things and I remember uh it was like a year or two ago or it might have been longer but anywho he I remember him coming home one day and he was talking about his best friend Tara and he was like mom Tara's mom's not in a wheelchair like what's up with that so that so yeah like so to him it was like that's the norm why are other moms not in wheelchairs like what's happening with this um so obviously now he's in first grade and um and, you know, his relationship with my disability may change. I mean, I, I hope he doesn't go through a, a phase where he's, like, embarrassed or, like, or weird. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, he'll but... go through those phases of just being a kid anyway. But, like, 
oh yeah, he's already like, when I take him to school, like, okay, mom, bye. <laughs> like he's already feeling the embarrassment. And I'm just yeah. like, okay. And I was like, love you. And he's like, oh, like, like God, like God, mom. Like, don't. but like, but, what yeah. is it like for you as a disabled mom to be parenting like a six-year-old? Cause again, we don't ever hear these stories. So I'm always like, what? Tell me the, tell me the Yeah. Stuff. I mean, six is good in the, because he's independent. I think the early years were hard when you have a baby and you're in a wheelchair and you're trying to navigate, like, how do I carry my baby and wheel myself? How do I get him in and out of the crib? How do I get him in and out of the car? Oh my gosh, I'm nervous to go in public with the baby. What if I, like, like, as a baby, like, it was a lot um, figuring out all of that. And Mm -hmm. now that he's older, it's like, he gets himself in and out of the car. If I need help with something, he'll, he'll do it. Um, You know, so he's, so that aspect is really good. Now it's just the complexities of being six and him, you know, trying to assert his independence you know, over you. independence <laughs> and having an attitude like right now I'm just focused on not raising an asshole you know what I mean like it's like how do you not raise like because they they all are you know entitled they're spoiled they're you know so you're just trying to like how do I raise a good kid well at least you won't raise a kid that's steep in ableism and afraid of oh. stuff like at least that won't be part of his narrative oh no no he 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 yeah yeah, and we talk about stuff now that he's getting older. He's curious, like, why I'm disabled and what that is. And, you know, and I try to talk to him about my disability and other people's disabilities. And one day he was like, well, mom, I wish you could walk. And I'm like, well, you know, but I, why? Like, I do a lot of other great things too. Like, I'm trying to just, like, have him just look at different perspectives of things. Yeah, like, of course. And I, but I think, I think it's also, like, a really valuable conversation for the, for him to say, I wish you could walk. Cause, like, you're right. What that what that shows for me, it was like listening to that is like, of course he does because everybody else, everyone else around him is he's seeing that and being like he's starting to get whether he obviously there's no he doesn't have language for it yet but he's starting to see what ableism is and what people feel and he's feeling that and probably is like oh I don't know how to feel about this now so it might be like a good time without using the big words to just be like hey here's you know here's what this feeling is. Let's talk about that. That's like, actually a really good idea. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't have kids, so <laughs> I can do whatever you feel is right. But I feel like yeah. it might be like I think kids need to need to talk about that because I don't know if that, if I if my parent was disabled from the time I was born. I don't know how I would how would you navigate like no one else is in a wheelchair like my mom. Like, it's a whole different side of ableism that I didn't consider until right now. Like, oh, wow, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Let me tell you something, though, that is, like, um, like my mind is a little blown about it. We have, there is another family moving into our neighborhood. The mom is disabled, a wheelchair user, and she has three kids. And they're just moving in around the block. So I'm, like, so excited. They're going to be two mom wheelchair users in our neighborhood. And it's so funny because the neighbors have always been, like, have already been, like, there's another there's another wheelchair user like there's gonna be an you know like they're all like i mean you may you might need to restart my gimpy life again i know right it like it's like a mom show <laughs> i would I'm watch so that excited like i'm excited for my kid to be around another mom in a wheelchair like i know other moms in wheelchairs but they don't live here like yeah. they you know yeah so i'm excited just to have that experience and i'm also excited to know that there's another house in the neighborhood that's going to be wheelchair accessible for that's me such, that's such a cool like it is really cool because it's rare. It never happens. 
Yeah. Like never happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about your injury and, and becoming injured. Cause for me, being born with CP and having a disability, we know the experiences of acquiring disability and, and having a congenital disability are completely different things. And I talk about it all the time about how the, the differences and how important they both are and how unique they both are. But I'd love to hear from you, like becoming disabled at such a pivotal age. Like I couldn't imagine, I don't want to say I couldn't imagine, but it's it's a different experience from being born with disability. For me, my disability is like been there from day one and to go from able-bodied to like disabled within a split second like that. It's just really, it's such an experience that I don't, that I can empathize with, but I'll never understand. So can you illuminate that for us? Yeah. So I was injured. I had just started my freshman year of high school. I was a cheerleader. I was popular, like uh, good grades, like doing that thing. And um, I uh, was with three other high schoolers. We were, it was Labor Day. We were driving to go see the Labor Day fireworks. And uh, the guy driving, he was a senior in high school, was driving too fast and ran off uh, the road and hit a tree. And um, I broke my back. So after, so I was in the hospital for a while. And then I went to Shepherd Center in Atlanta for rehab. Um, When you're first injured, there's this whole kind of narrative around you of like, okay, you know, maybe you'll walk again. Like maybe you'll get better. Like, so there's that focus on rehabilitation. Yes. So that's like kind of your world for a a while. And I remember the doctor telling me like, there'll be a cure for spinal cord injuries in like the next 10 years deal. So just like stay in good shape. So I was like, okay, cool. So like I did physical therapy, I got long leg braces and I walk around the house in a walker, but it's like, I couldn't walk. I was just like swinging my upper body, like killing my shoulders, like you know, trying to stand up and, you know, walk quotation marks. And um, so there's that focus uh, on that. As far as like me going back to school, I like, I want to say I almost just like was faking it in a way. Like I knew how to be the like kind of popular do good, you know, in school student. And I, I'm lucky that I had great family and friends. So I kind of just like, did that, even though on the inside, I was feeling a lot of shame and embarrassment. Um, but on the outside, it was like, okay, everything's great. You know, I was trying oh, to wow. almost act like I wasn't disabled almost. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to talk about things. I, I definitely wasn't going to go to the school dance or go to a football game. And like, I was mortified. I couldn't ride the school bus anymore. And so um, the special education, I hate that word, but that's what they called it. The special education teacher had to come pick me up in her car get my wheelchair in and then she would drive me to school. I remember being so embarrassed. So embarrassed. Drop it. It's like so funny. <laughs> I'd be like, I hope nobody's watching. Oh my God, she's getting my wheelchair. Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. And, um, but I just played it off. Like, you know, it's all good. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's such, it's such, that's such a, like, I remember being 14. I was an asshole. I was like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I mean, I was 14 and I had so many emotions, so many feelings and all these things. I can't imagine going through that. Like, yeah, all the embarrassment of being a teenager. Plus, now you have this special ed teacher bringing your chair in. Like, it's it's a lot to navigate that. Wow. Um, and then, did you did you go through a period of like, because I've lost function, not in the same way, obviously, but I've lost things quick, mm-hmm. and so like I know how 
the grief that comes along with that. Did you go through a period of like disability grief where you were like, I fucking hate this? How do I like did you process the trauma of just going from one to the other so quick? No, I think I just like pushed it all down and just like tried to keep a happy face and like I didn't want people to feel bad for me. I didn't want people to think anything different. So I just worked really hard to like to not to not do any of that. Um, But there was things I look back like I got this blood clot in my leg and had to go back to the hospital and navigate that. I had a lot of like bladder stuff where I was just like peeing on myself and like all that weird, you know, all that stuff. So I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I should probably go like to therapy now and maybe try to unpack and some things. Like, yeah, because I'm sure it's a lot. Like, because I think, yeah, I'm just, I, I think yeah. we, we go through so much of these things, like this disability grief, and we have no one to talk to. And we're mm-hmm. supposed to do what you to, to do exactly what you did, which is to shove it down, swallow mm-hmm. it, put a smile on our face, and keep moving. And it's like, well, that no, like so maybe, and again, do whatever feels comfy for you. But like maybe it's a good opportunity to to go to somebody, to maybe a disabled therapist, and be like, here's the shit that I went. Like, how old are you yeah. now? So it happened to you at fourteen. I'm forty. Yeah. Okay. So you have so you have like <laughs> a long plus, time plus twenty years of that happening, but like. <laughs> Still, I mean, I don't know if I could, if I would process the trauma super well of that, but I'm happy for you that like, it didn't, it didn't fracture things for you. Cause I can imagine for some people who become disabled, they go through this whole period of resentment and shame and all the, like all the things you went through, but maybe it's because you were so young when it happened, you just bounced like, you know, and I also, I remember just like, and I still do this now. It's just like focusing on like stuff you're thankful for. Like I'm still alive. I can still do that. Like I've, I've always kind of lived that way, which is sometimes bullshit. Cause then it's just like, it's you know, like, you're not like, addressing the other stuff. The stuff. Like, oh, I'm just thankful. I'm <laughs> thankful. I'm so thankful. What, you know, and it's. Because part of part of me is like, Tia, let's get into the, let's get in, let's go down deep into the heavy shit. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So like. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's part of me is like, it's really good for you that you didn't have to go through all that heavy stuff at 14. Cause I don't, cause I was a, as a 14 year old wheelchair using teenager, queer teenager who was like figuring out that I like boys, I was super attitudinal and morose and like had all these feelings about stuff. And so for you with the, with the injury, like it's maybe it's a good thing that you bounced back so quickly. I don't know. I don't know. But it's an interesting experience because I was waiting for you to say like, yeah, I went through stuff. And you were just like, no, I, I just, I figured it out. <laughs> I just kept going. Well, there was like fake it till you make it kind of thing. I think that's what I did. I think yeah. I just like act like a, a acting role or whatever. Like, and yeah. I don't. Do you remember what you thought of disabled people before you became one? I don't. I mean, you know, it's like you have the disabled you know the family member in a wheelchair at a uh, wedding you know maybe that I remember the right around when I was injured is when Christopher Reeve was injured in his accident and so that was happening in the news and so that was like this strange connection of like oh this like amazing celebrities going through something similar or whatever yeah. Um, and then I will say when I went to Shepherd Center Rehab Center in Atlanta, they were great in the sense of there were quite a few other teenagers there going through a similar thing. And then they had a woman um, come and uh, do peer support with me. 
and she had just been injured a couple years prior to my injury and she was in high school and she was back in high school and like had a boyfriend and was driving a convertible. And oh, I don't cool. know. So, so she came like- and saw me. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like I can be like her. Like she's doing fine. Oh, like, well, then, you know uh, what well, I mean? maybe that, maybe, maybe that helps. Yeah. yeah. That could have helped too. Just seeing that, at least seeing that, even though, you know, cause this was before like social media or any of that stuff. Or like so, push girls or all the stuff that's like, out yeah, now. there all was the- no like, you know, ref, you know, thing, unless you had somebody in your life, you know, there was no, yeah, so representation. Like there was no representation, you know. 94, right? No, yeah, 94. 95, yeah. Yeah, so right around the time, like, yeah. And I, you sp- it's funny, you mentioned Christopher Reeve. Like, I remember reading his book and, rem- and seeing that happen to him. And my mom ran out and got his book from me right away and was like, see, someone like you, because she was trying to find me like a role model of somebody who used a wheelchair because I was like 10 and I had none. And she was like, read this book yeah, I, remember, yeah. I remember reading it and up until he passed away like having such a weird we never obviously i never knew him, we never spoke but having such a weird like you are the person that i looked up to when i was 10 wanting to be like oh there's someone else like me out there look and so she my mom always called me superman because we were connected that way so it was, it was a weird cute thing that, that like that so i fully understand how like you would also feel weirdly connected to him. Um, in your acting life, did you ever get a chance to, to like meet him? Was there any? No, but I did receive the uh, Christopher Reeve, like the acting scholarship when I lived in Los Angeles every year at the Media Access Awards. The the Reeve Foundation gives a acting scholarship to like an up and coming act up and coming actor, and I received it one year, which was oh cool. nice. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I gushed about your show at the beginning because I remember stumbling on it on YouTube, like, what was it, 10 years ago now, probably, mm-hmm. and falling in love with it, being like, who is this person? How do I become their best friend? And how do I do exactly what they just did? And I, I, I don't remember how I found it, but I just fell in love with it because I use Gimpy all the time as a as a joke and as a, like a playful like jab at myself. And I when I saw you using that so liberally, I was like, oh, someone has my same sense of humor who's also disabled. Like, <laughs> And they've created this character that is out there doing stuff in Los Angeles, like trying to get acting gigs. And so I'd love for you to like, tell me about my Gimby life and how that came to be and what it was like making that and producing that. It was an award-winning web series, right? It won a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Um, so I was introduced to the whole web series world through Felicia Day. She had a web series called The Guild about a group of online gamers who play like a World of Warcraft game. And it's, it's super popular. Um, so she wrote a fun character for me in that show. Her name was Venom. And I was like this super bitchy, you know, girl on wheels. Um, I have a great makeout scene with another woman. Um, it was just like, great. Like, I loved it. It's a great show. So I saw what she was doing with the guild and I was like, oh, like, I want to do this. Like, I, I, you know, obviously this was 10 years ago. So there was even less representation 10 years ago. So yes. I was, I was craving obviously that representation. And also I thought, oh, if I do my own thing, like maybe that will then lead to other opportunities. So, yeah. um, thankfully through, uh, 
Felicia, Felicia's show and my involvement in that show. It's like I met all the people, the director and the camera guy and the producers. And the so I basically took her model and and used that replicated model. It. Yeah, I replicated it. So it, that in that way, that that was already there. And um, I worked with a comedy writer. We collaborated. And, you know, we had this Google Doc going where I would share all my, like, stuff. Like, this is my idea for this. And this is something that happened to me that I'd like to explore. And, you know, oh, I met this other little person. I met a little person. Her name's Teal, too. And we actually kind of look alike. And what if she's my nemesis? You know, like, we go against the same acting part. So it's just, like, fun stuff like that that I just had. And then he helped me, obviously, shape it and turn it into a, a you know a series and a story and we added in other characters and whatnot and it was just it was so it was a uh, very just rewarding to be in in control in this business you feel like you're always just waiting or want you know hoping somebody gives you an opportunity just so to be able to be the one creating it and then also yeah. giving other people opportunities being like oh I get to cast this I get to yeah. you know it that it was it was great and then putting it out into the world was so so special um because the disability community like rallied around it and connected to it and I, I was I was nervous about that and and then it it started this dialogue of like oh yeah, that happened to me too. And then we'd like be, you know, everybody be messaging back and forth about it. It was so great um, to know you weren't alone and then to hear other people's experiences. And, um, um, and then it started being used in, in schools, like in colleges, like as part of like the, you know, education. (laughs) Isn't that cool when someone's like, oh, can because people with this show say, oh, can I use an excerpt from your podcast? Like, put it in my syllabus and I'm always like what this weird thing that I make that like no one should be listening to you want to take a piece of it and put it as an educational like what sure like do it but also what so yeah Yeah. I get get that it's very like it is really weird to be to be making content because a lot of the times you do it by yourself and like I'm sure when you were making my Gimby life it was you were in your bubble with your team doing it not really knowing how it was going to land so when you yeah. get like that's the kind of recognition that I love getting people being like oh I love your stuff can I use it for this like mm-hmm. wow sure yeah and it's a, it's the show's complicated in a way like I also feel like still kind of like it never qu- took off like I wanted it to so there's a part of me that still feels like uh like it never quite went like I was hoping, you know, HBO would be like, oh, yeah, cool, like let's broad city esque, like yeah. yeah, like that's what I wanted, and and you know that's what we were working for, and it it didn't happen, and so there's a part of me that there's also this complex relationship I have with this show, uh, but I'm proud of it. I I it was I think. I didn't even know. I think August was Disability Aware or Pride Month, and I was like, oh, Disability Pride. I'm gonna it release was July. Was it July? Okay, yeah, it was July. See? It was July. So during July, I was like, oh, I'm going to release my episodes on Instagram. And because I, they're not on Instagram and you have the IGTV thing. And so I started yeah. uploading them. And I mean, there's so many people that haven't seen it. You know, I haven't I seen had... it in a couple of years, which is why when when you were like, I want to come on. I was like, oh my God, that's why I was, I was starstruck. I was like, oh, I watched you when I was like 25, 27, 28, looking for like other people doing what I do trying to figure out what I want to do. How do I want to do my advocacy? And your show was one that I like glommed onto right away. Cause I was like, this is 
important. Like, yeah, but I see what you're saying, like HBO, pick it up. It should, yeah. Like, and see, like now, I think, like, I've heard people say, like, people, disability kind of scholar people who have used it in their books, are like, it was just ahead of its time. I'm like, it really was? was. I'm like, well, it, okay. Like, I don't know. I guess I, I feel like it still holds up. So I don't know. Maybe like, we'll try it, to it, have a come, maybe we'll try to have a comeback. I mean, I think with streaming services right now, the way that's all going, like, I'm sure you could get something on like YouTube TV or whatever they like, whatever the thing is now, like, but it does need a place. I think it's really valuable. And like I was saying, like with your new neighbor moving in, who's also got disabilities, maybe there's, maybe you like do it as a doc now. I don't know. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe there's like different avenues you could take it, but I do feel like, like the people that produce broad city need to like get on that and like do it again. The broad city girls need to take your story and help you make it a thing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they'll hear this and they'll be like, yes. I mean, I know some people who know them. I know some people that work with the Broad City people. So, like, if you're listening, Anthony Michael Lopez, put this in Abby Jacobson's ear holes. I don't know. Figure it out. Put it in her ear hole. (laughs) Just shove it up her ear hole, please. Yeah, just just put it in there. But I want to shift gears a bit because you also said that you work for New New Mobility Magazine, which is cool. Um, um, so what kind of stories in disability media do you think that both disabled people and non-disabled people need to see? So I think it's important for us and me, um, to continue to connect with others and amplify, amplify, um, just like diverse voices within the disability community. Um, Like one of the reasons why I was excited to uh, my last media column, it was on Ryan O'Connell and special and, and uh, included a lot of, of, of stuff from your podcast, from this podcast and your interview with him. And, and um, that was important because I would realize I haven't shared a perspective of somebody who's disabled and also part of the LGBTQ plus community. Like I haven't shared that perspective and that's like, why haven't I? And, uh, you know, and I made sure to interview Andy Arias, who is gay and a performer and also um, Latinx. Like, so I wanted his perspective in that piece too. Yeah. Um, I recently talked to um, Andrea Levant for New Mobility Live, and she's the impact producer of Crip Camp and went to the Academy Awards this year and wrote this great piece in Essence Magazine about being the first Black visibly disabled woman to roll on the red carpet. So we talked about that. So I think it's just continuing to like amplify and connect with diverse voices within our community. Yeah, I would um, agree. So we're not just seeing the same like, like content, like, the same person, the, the same, same like perspective. This disabled guy who yeah. had a spinal cord injury saying like I had a spinal cord injury and life was hard. Like yeah, yeah totally. we, I, I get that. And if you're I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying we've heard that before. Like let's 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 give the the page or the mic or the media to someone else. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I agree with you. I think we need more queer disabled stories mm-hmm. um so if you need anybody to write anything for a new ability magazine um I so, mean, so we've been talking about that how we need more of those stories in new mobility so i'll let them know that we had a meeting not too long ago and that was one of yeah, the I things mean, i'm here doing so just <laughs> but also yeah, and like, we've included you in, in the magazine pieces and stories and our, oh that's it, fantastic yes. well thank yeah. you I, i'm gonna go 
hunt those down and, and push them out again. But, um, you know, I think also like, I think we need to hear more stories about just what it is like to live day to day. What is the day to day journey of being disabled? Cause it ebbs and flows. And one of the things that I've been fascinated with in, with this podcast and creating content is like, I want to talk about the, the heavy shit. I want to go down and deep into like the trenches of disability because there is grief and there's stuff that we've been conditioned to push to push away and push down and not talk about. That's why like my social media content is so raw all the mm-hmm. time. So like I wanted, I wanted to talk about the stuff that no one else is talking about. And even if it doesn't get a huge like following, someone's going to resonate with it. So like I try to, when I create content to be like, let's, go deep because I feel like a lot of disability stuff we're still when we're dealing with like non-disabled people and we're like giving them content a lot of it is surface level like let's do one-on-one let's like break the stigma and the rest of us are going well we've been we were there already can we go can we go a bit deeper like can we go like further down so I think I love creating content that is deeper than just oh here's how here's how Andrew uses his chair today like okay that's cool but what about how andrew fucks or what about how andrew like has relationships or what about how andrew feels grief about xyz like that's the kind of stuff i think we need more of yeah because it's just not there and i feel like i feel like with even some some larger disability magazines i'm not going to name anybody but like some larger disability platforms like they're so it's so disability washed and that there's no discussion of like what's what are the emotional impacts of being disabled so that's the kind of stuff that I think we need more of just because it feels I like agree. it feels like we're in 2021 and we're we're having a conversation that's an echo chamber with within our within our communities but no one else is hearing it and it's like someone else mm-hmm. needs to hear it like so thank goodness for as much as I abhor social media thank goodness for it because at least we get to talk about this stuff um, I want to, I want to talk about your, your relationship with your non-disabled husband. Cause I think inter, inter-able relationships. How do you feel about that term? Actually? How do you feel about inter-able? You know, we did a whole poll in new mobility magazine about it. Like, do you like that term? And most people said they don't like it and they don't understand. I don't know either. I'm so I, mixed about it. I'm kind of like, I mean, it is in a way interesting to have a term because there, it, it is a unique relationship being like me being in a relationship with somebody who is non-disabled and they're with the disabled partner. So they're very much a part of the disability world because yeah. he's with me. So he almost views life differently. So there is something there in that relationship. So, I mean, maybe that is the best term. I don't know what else you call it. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean, I feel like, inter- I feel like the way, I think it's the context in which it's used. Hmm. Some people are like, oh, we're in a, it's an interable relationship. And part of me is like, okay, wait, how, that feels weird. Like, yeah, yeah, how yeah. are you? How are you using, it's like if you were to, if somebody was a person of color and then a white person and you said, we're in a mixed relationship, it would feel weird. It yeah. Feels, it feels yeah, I like, would never use it to describe our relationship, yeah. but. Tell me know. more about like just the relationship in general between you and your husband. Yeah. So we met through an organization called Life Rolls On. They take people with disabilities out surfing. And so we were in San Diego. I was one of the people gonna, gonna, you know, surf that day. And he was a volunteer. 
um, um, which is really interesting. Like I was thinking about that, like when, like we first met, like I, it was like in a position where like he was volunteering to help me surf, you yeah. know, like help me get in the water and surf, and be, <laughs> you know, free in the water. And, and, you know, they'd helped us get in the beach wheelchairs and push us out and they'd help us on the board. And we basically let our board and they'd help us get out in the water and pitch us into the waves and whatever. But anyway, we met, we met that day and, um, and then started going out and it all just like happened very fast and we were living together and it was all very, um, felt very natural and easy. Like so easy. I was kind of like, something's wrong. Like this yeah. is like, I feel way too comfortable with him. Like, and that's weird. Like I shouldn't, you know, be feeling this way when in reality it's like, yeah, that's cool that you feel so comfortable that you can be vulnerable and comfortable with him. And that well, you like feel maybe like, because he was a helper, he like didn't have a lot of ableism to unpack or like was ready to just dive in. Cause most people, yeah. when they consider dating or sleeping with a disabled person, like they have to go through their own, ableism journey and that takes forever to get them through and so like because he was already primed he's like i understand what this is i know how to do like the basics mm-hmm. like because most most non-disabled people when they consider hanging out with a disabled person even if we're not talking about dating or sexually they don't know what to do like people don't know how to say hi to us without it being weird like yeah. so he was probably comfy because he knew how to do that already and because he was comfy you automatically were like oh i'm also comfy yeah. Yeah. And it was a weird feeling though, to feel that, that in a relationship. Yeah. Cause I yeah. never felt that before. Uh, like, but with him, he was just so open and he was himself vulnerable and like, he is who he is. Like, he's just like, this is who I am. Like, and so it made me be like, okay, I'm, this is who I am, you know? And um, yeah, so that was all great. Um, I think like talking about, like, I think the complicated thing that sometimes happens because I have a disability and he, he's, I guess, non-disabled, even though he has all of his back, he has back issues and he has things, like, he has all these things too. So he, he will soon become one of us, don't yeah, worry. Yeah, like, yeah. So sometimes I'm like, what is happening? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> but um, it's like the, the, you know, a lot of the manual, the labor falls on him, for instance, like when my son was young and we would travel, it's like, he's helping the, you know, our baby, you know, in the stroller, get through the airport and helping him get on the plane. And we've got to have the car seat and he's carrying all the luggage. And then, okay. Um, he like my husband likes to carry, carry me on the plane, uh, because the aisle chairs are weird, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know so I he, it. he likes to do that. But when I, I, I use aisle chairs when I, you know, if I'm flying, um, um, by my by myself but he he's like looks I'm gonna carry so he's carrying me on he's got the baby he's got the luggage and we're going so some and so sometimes I'm like oh gosh like he's doing all it's the work lot. and I just yeah. feel like uh, like the, what I'm you know the feeling of burdensome is is weird yeah. up my head again because like yeah and so do you do you guys have conversations about like do you ever talk to him about how that feels or do you do you, do, you, do you, have you gotten so used to just kind of feeling it and not talking about it yeah, I don't know if we really like talked about it. I think we just understand like those are things like that I physically can't do and that you're going to need to take the ring, you know, you're going to have to take the lead on those things. And there are also other things that I take the lead on and that I do. And um, so I think there's just that under, we understand that, but I do think there is probably a place for us to maybe have conversations about things like, cause I know sometimes it's like, he'll be frustrated because he's doing all the things 
and I'm like, you know, and you're like, I, I want to, but I can't, but, but I, I can't, I, and I, can't. I feel bad, and I know you're exhausted because you know whatever like so example like when we moved into our house like i'm useless when it comes to moving into a house i can't move furniture what do you want me to do like i maybe can unpack some stuff once we get the boxes when somebody else brings the boxes in like i can probably like help unpack but there's just certain things like you know i'm not you know you're gonna have to call a neighbor to come over and help you move that piece of furniture i can't help you do that like so there's things like that where i'm like oh that kind of sucks you had to call the neighbor and it would have been nice if i could have just done it um but like is there is there a part of that relationship and that difference and the dichotomy between the two of you that's awesome having him be non-disabled and you be disabled that's like that's like an advantage that people don't under people don't think about that you're like yeah this is great because oh for sure it is nice having somebody that like if i need help into somebody's house he can just lift me up and take me in there like i said he can carry me on the airplane he can you know, if I need help with something, he can do it. And like, so yeah, that's definitely, um, I guess a good thing. Awesome. Sure. Um, how else does like, what other than him being weirdly cool, you being disabled right from the jump, which, which I'm a little bit jealous of because where's, my, where's the person in my life? that's just gonna be like, yeah, it's cool. No problem. Where's that person? I want that. Uh, what, you know, other than that, like, what is, how does your, how does disability impact your relationship between the two of you in other ways? Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, like, uh, like, uh, intimacy, like sex, like figuring out how that works for us. Um, um, with me being disabled and things and working differently and having different feelings, different places. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to bring it up because I wasn't sure we want to go there, but since you opened the door, I'm going to Yeah. I don't even know. I didn't even know we're going to open the door, but But it's so interesting because he actually worked, um, for, um, a, uh, uh, adult store here. He managed all of the like it for an adult store in the area and they have stores in California and whatever. So that was interesting because when he worked there, it was like, oh, they have all these vibrators and there's different things and there's so that kind of opened up a thing of like, oh, we should maybe we could incorporate different things um, and do different things. Because when you are married and we've been together, like almost married 10 years, you do get in a rut of like, yeah, we've been together. We're married. Like he's busy where we work. We have a kid. We have a house. Like there's a lot of things. And so you get like some of those things kind of like fall to the wayside a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. there is, I guess that the, him having that job was interesting because that was like part of his like world for a while. Um, so like navigating that um, would be another thing. Um, you know, even me just being pregnant as somebody yeah. with a disability, like well, navigating that, well, that, that together so I never even knew if I wanted kids. And then in my early thirties, that like thing hit me that you hear about where like, Oh God, where I was like, Oh gosh, I need a child. We need to have a child. <laughs> whatever that is, is it the biological clock or yeah. whatever that, whatever that hormonal thing is, I guess it, it, it that's true. Um, or it was for me. Um, and so that hit me in. And then we started discussing like, well, am, am I going to have one? Or are we going to adopt? Or are we going to have a surrogate? Cause I was like, can I even have a, should, can I have a baby? And is it even safe for me 
to have a baby. And my sister, who is a labor and delivery nurse and is now a nurse practitioner, woman's health nurse practitioner, was like, Teal, you should go see a high-risk maternal fetal medicine doctor. They're like the high-risk baby doctors. Yeah. Um, Like, go see one of those and see. So we made an appointment with this uh, doctor named Dr. McWeenie. And amazing. no joke, amazing. he's amazing and he's super hot. He looks like Grades Anatomy Dr. McWeeny. And wow. um, <laughs> so we we meet with him and for like an hour, we just talked about my my health history, what I've gone through, all of the things. And he, you know, made a list of things that he needed to research and was like looking stuff up while I, while I was in there. And, and, and then, um, and then he, he did some research. I came back and he, you know, was like, okay, the, if yes, I think you can get pregnant. You know, I think your body will, you'll be okay to have a baby, but these are the things like you need to get off your osteoporosis medicine, um, because that can be harmful to the baby. And you need to, if you get pregnant, you need to, um, let's put you on a low dose blood thinner because I have a risk of blood clots. So let's just go ahead and get on a low dose blood thinner while I'm, while I'm pregnant. Yeah. Um, so I had to meet with my osteoporosis doctor. Like, is it okay if I get off my osteoporosis medicine? Is that going to make a big difference? And they were, Oh, you can, that's okay. Like that will be okay. So, so we had like a game plan. So there was a lot of research and thought that went into me just like, even before we attempted to even start trying to get pregnant, yeah. I just wanted to make sure I, it was going to be okay. Like I, um, and then, yeah, so we started trying and like, had luck and got, I got pregnant fairly, fairly quickly. Uh, pregnancy was, was fairly good. I had, I had to go in the hospital once because I had a kidney infection and it hit me pretty hard. Um, 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 it was causing like contractions and I was sick, really sick. So I had, that was like the big, um, one big thing, but besides that, like it was, it was pretty, it went, you know, fairly well. Um, and the, pregnancy. the pregnant, like the, the giving birth part, was that, was that common? Did they know what to do? Were they like, cause I knew, cause I know going in the hospital, just going in the hospital for general disability stuff. They generally don't know what to do. So I'm curious, like, did they know how to navigate you being a disabled person in the hospital room? They did. And, and I think with us, what we did is like, so we were hoping I would have a child naturally. So that was like the hope. Um, if I did have to have a C-section, we had a urologist like that was on call that was there because I've had augmentation done to my bladder. Um, so if they were going to have to cut into my, that area, I was going to have to have a urologist there to make sure they didn't mess up any of the work, like stuff I've had done to my bladder. So that was like, we had to have, it was just more like work. We had to be on, I feel like on top of like, if this happens, we need to be aware of this. And like, I wish they would, I wish these stories were out in, in media. Like I wish Mm -hmm. this was something we we read about or cause I, I watch a lot of like, I'm weird. I like to watch like pregnancy <laughs> podcasts. Like I like to do, I don't know why I'm weird, but I like to watch all that stuff. And I wish that this, like these discussions never are brought up in, in like, they're just like, oh, yeah, you have a normal pregnancy. And it's like, well, what about if you have a disability? Yeah. Or, or I, I think about like, what about if a person is, can, is congenitally disabled and like, 
wants to have a kid. Well, that's a whole, like, I wish they would put this in. Maybe that's a column for new media. Yeah. 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 We, we do need to do more pregnancy stories and parenting. We've done some, but I think there's, it's, uh, there's so much more. Yeah. Just cause like Uh, your story is probably not unique for a lot of people with your disability, but also like is unique for the world to hear because we don't hear about that enough. Yeah. And then I was able to have uh, my son river um, naturally. It was almost like because of my injury, because I'm paralyzed, like have done, I almost, it's like I had a natural epidural kind of. So that part, that was a perk <laughs> to oh, be nice, paralyzed. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Oh, no big deal. Um, so um, yeah. So that, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and, and I wonder also like, I want to go back to the acting stuff for a second. What kind of stuff do you want? What kind of, um, it's the question that I wrote down. Let me find it. I wrote down, how do you think we can make acting more accessible specifically for those of us who use wheelchairs? So I'm thinking for like, so for people just like the watch stuff that just for any of us out there, is that what you? Yeah. For any or what? Yeah. For any of us who watch stuff and also for like, for like actors who want to in wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do what you do. Yeah. I think that obviously like if you, if you are watching a show and there's a wheelchair user in it, or you like what's your scene, obviously like speak out about it online, you know, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, whatever, like, you know, and tag the creators or the NBC or ABC, whoever's doing it, just like have a voice about it, like talk about it. And if you are in a position like you, where you have a podcast or like me, I write about stuff like, you know, generate that stuff, put it out there into the world. If you are in a position to create um, your own thing, uh, where whatever it is. I mean, and that's one of the great things about Instagram right now. You have, or, or uh, TikTok, TikTok or whatever. Like yeah. you have these disabled creators like creating stuff and they have millions of viewers and they're putting out some cool I mean, I things. feel so, I feel so old and I feel so like unable to get into that world. I just have to, nope, I can't do it. You can't do, do TikTok. It. Oh my gosh. No, no I'm way no, too old for that. No, um, <laughs> No, but I agree with you. I think we just have to have more conversation around accessibility and around like what I love about special and what I love about Ryan O'Connell stuff. And I've said this a thousand times, but I'll say it again. Like, I love that there was more than one disabled person on that show. Yes. Lift each other up and support each other. I think there is this mentality and I know I've felt this before, especially earlier in my career. It was like, I had this like, belief in me that there was only room for one of us like only one person with disability can make it and it's got it you know whatever and that's so not true and there's like ableist thinking it's like there's more there can be more than one of us and i've had to i have i continually have to be like no andrew it's okay that if it's okay it's okay if another disabled person wants to do a podcast it's all right like they're not totally taking it away from you they're just trying to do their own thing Totally. But I think the more we support each other and we lift each other up, like it, that's it. Like, then there's going to be more things you're going to feel better and we're all going to feel better. And it's just going to be, um, so I think that that is, is, 
important. And I mean, I, I think also the way we make acting more accessible for wheelchair users is we we need more power chair users in stuff. Yes, yes. Because everything I see right now, if we're lucky to see a disabled person, they are usually played by a non-disabled person in a little tiny non-power mm-hmm. chair. And I'm like, well, what if you have a complex disability that doesn't yep. allow you to have a manual chair? So I think we need more power chair users in everything. Um, and I think the way we make acting more accessible is we open up platforms like TikTok, like Instagram, like everything you were saying, and we put money behind these people that are doing stuff because we all talk about diversity, but none of us, but then it never goes anywhere. Yeah. And it's also yeah important that we just have more people working behind the scenes, uh, writing, directing, um, like I'm friends with Catherine Beatty. She's a writer on, she was a, she's a wheelchair user, uh, has CP. And so she was a writer on NCS, NCIS New Orleans, and she's now on NCIS. Um, so it's just, yeah, more people on those, all the, all the positions, um, um, besides just the people, you know, in front of yeah, the camera. Exactly. I think that's cool. I didn't know there was a wheelchair user writing on NCS that was yeah she did this cool episode I was in on NCS New Orleans that had like a majority disabled cast that was pretty was pretty it was pretty because Daryl Chill Mitchell who he's a wheelchair user um he's he's a series regular on or was the show got canceled but he was a series regular on NCIS uh New Orleans and so the episode kind of like focused on him and um a group of disabled veterans who were like helping solve a crime and so it was cool it was cool to be on set because I was looking around and there was like it was mostly you know wheelchair users and amputees and and stuff I was like this is bizarre like that's really awesome like also also Daryl Chill Mitchell if you're listening come on my show yeah oh my gosh you should yeah if you're listening come on the show because yeah i can message him too i have this thing yeah be like be like yo andrew wants to do because because i know who he is like that's that's awesome that's that's really cool um um i am i have i'm plumb out of questions for you is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet I don't think so. No. Cool. What do we, uh, yeah. Um, well, how can people follow you? How can they support you? How can they do all the things that we do now in, in our social media world? Yeah. Well, I am on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Teal Share, T E A L S H E R E R. Um, my website is tealshare.com. Um, there's a little form you can message me through there. Nice. Do it. Everyone should message Teal right now. Do yeah, it. Everybody, please message her. Do it. Message Teal. She's looking for <laughs> some people to talk to. Through yeah, this. and you can still watch My Gimpy Life on our YouTube channel, My Gimpy Life YouTube I'll, channel. So I'll watch it and share it. We can it could have a resurgence. I mean, could it please? Again, again I say come on HBO Max. You know you're looking for different diversity stuff to do. Put the put it out there. We have special, which is great, but we need more, more. So, so hire Teal to do another. How long was the first series? Six episodes, right? Yeah, the first season was five, and then we did um, four more in season two. So there's nine total. Okay, so let's do another ten season order. HBO Max, let's figure it out. I don't know. 
I don't know, but I think I loved it. I'm I'm gonna go back and watch it now because I haven't in forever. Um, but I'm gonna have a look because it was it literally bef- like and you were pre special pre Ryan O'Connell like he and again he's amazing he got a huge splash but like your little show I swear to you I would sit in my house and watch it and be like the whatever she's doing I want to do it I like uh, like it was my it was my show and there's a there's a fun episode um um there's a guy so a guy I'm dating in the in the in the series like my character's dating and um yeah. I don't realize like he's a devotee but there's little clues that keep popping up like he's just very interested in my wheelchair and my disability like there's these little clues and I love like the cold open of I think it might be episode eight it's like we've spent the night together and I wake up and he's literally like making out with my wheelchair, like licking the wheels and like having like, he's like, it's very sexual. He's doing these things. And I wake up, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And basically he talks about how he's like, you know, wants to be in a threesome with me and my wheelchair and how he loves oh. the wheels. It's so bizarre. But anyway, that's kind of like one of the things. Um, and I, I liked it because it was a, it was comedy. I, and I, I remember that now. I remember seeing that now that you bring it up. Like, and I remember watching that being like, it's funny because she's speaking to an experience that we've all had. Like, yeah. All yeah, of us yeah. have had who are, who use mobility aids, who have disabilities. We've all been in, the, in that weird limbo of like somebody likes us, but they're also doing devoteeism in a different way like i think devotees are great i've talked to devotees who are not creepy and who are super cool and chill and so like so like maybe season you know three could be exploring all that stuff again i would love to see your character be a mom how cool would that be? Like- yeah i i am with you like we don't see enough parents with disabilities um i really want to play a mom and 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 something um, that, that needs to be a show like yeah Alan, someone's production company, figure it out because that's a great idea. But you and I could talk for hours. Yes. Been oh so my gosh. Fun. This is a treat. So fun. But um, tell us again how to get a hold of you and then we'll be done. Yeah. You can you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at TealShare or at TealShare.com. And I'll make sure all that stuff's in the show notes because that's my job as the podcast creator is to make sure all the things are right. But this is great. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for sitting down today. And we will talk to you, Tealshare, very soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I was, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening and shining a bright light on disability stories with me. If you want to follow all my work, and see all my links and all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head over to my new website, aagerza.com. And all my stuff is there. My social links are there. My website is there. My podcast is there. Everything is there. And you can follow along with the show that way. If you want to leave a review for the show, please do so wherever you get your podcast. It really does help keep the bright lights shining on this show. If you want to support the show financially and get the show one day early, completely ad-free, as well as a shout-out on the air, consider pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark. Stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll shine a bright light on disability stories next time. Copyright Notice 
Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripple & Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023